You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. No matter what you do in life, you're going to hit obstacles, no matter what. But if you love something and you're focused on getting to a goal, your passion will drive you right through it and you'll have the energy and the enthusiasm to stay focused and not give up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of 2020. I'm excited to be here once again. I'm Siobhan Cronin and I'm here with my cohorts, Benny Goodman. What's going on, Siobhan? (laughs) Who is unfortunately not on video for everyone watching slash listening, but is in a very Hugh Hefner-esque bathrobe, <laughs> looking very fly. Huh. Look at these Uggs. Even with the Ugg slippers. I got Brock yeah. a pair of Ugg slippers for Christmas, and he was not into them. He said it looks like he's stepping on a squirrel, and so he returned ha- Haley, my 15-year-old, when I came out in this, in this robe, was like, you, that's like a dad robe. And I'm like, oh. I'm well, you have kind of a dad-esque life and- now, right? I guess that's a well, compliment. Kind of. Well, not not compliment from a 15-year-old. But, uh, <laughs> oh, you look like a dad. You're so not Dude, cool. I, I rock like the fluffiest, like stupidest looking robe ever because it just, <laughs> it's warm and comfy. So I, I don't, it's like, at least yours looks like somewhat stylish. And well, speaking of which, that is Corey Peza, who I'm also here with, who hasn't been a cohort and, and is And is not, is not wearing a robe, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, the slippers are really where it's at. That's where I've realized that the dad, the dad robe is cool because you get up in the middle of the night and you're like, wow, this is really warm when it's freezing out. Like, this is surprising. I guess this is the reason why everyone's been doing this for years. But the slippers, like, at first I didn't like these slippers because, like, my feet started sweating. But then when you get up in the middle of the night and it's freezing and you put them on, you're like, ah, oh, this is amazing. So the, all my life. I've lived without a robe and slippers. This is the joy so. of like getting old. Is yeah, well, welcome like, to the club. <laughs> I think when you tour on a bus and it's just freezing, well, maybe because I'm a girl, but guys always want it to be literally the tundra when they're sleeping. So it's like 40 <laughs> degrees and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to die if I'm not wearing slippers and a robe. Oh, yeah. If it's a, a degree above 58 degrees in my room, like I can't, I can't sleep. I, yeah. I actually wake up upset. <laughs> and then of course I go do work because Cindy, my fiance, who's uh, a nurse, she gets up at six a.m. So I'm like, you know what? I'll I'll go record that guitar solo at two thirty in the morning, and I'll get back and like she'll be so mad at me. She's like, why did you leave the window open with the fan on and you're not even here? Because <laughs> I I have to be ready for when I come in. It has to be like at least fifty nine degrees so I can fall asleep in like seven minutes when it's fifty eight. Oh, we're well, a neurotic bunch. Well, yes. anyway, not not to go off on any other tangents, but this week we have part two, or I guess same week, part two of uh, our episode with John Garabedian. If you haven't do you think he's going to be one. let down by this intro? He's going to be like, this has nothing to do at all with what we're talking about. And you know what? You're supposed to stay focused. This isn't focused. I, I, yeah, speaking I know. of that, this this episode, coincidentally, has a lot of info that John gives us on how to interview people, which we ignore completely and continue. Well, to- we made we made the mistake of waiting until the end to ask him about yeah. interview <laughs> tips, only to realize that we did everything so wrong. So we we, the we asked time. we asked the master himself to give us some tips, and we disregard all of them moving forward because we are complete amateurs. Um, but he does he does uh, actually demonstrate his interviewing skills with Siobhan at the end of the episode, which is kind of cool. Uh, so if you want to actually learn something, you know, watch all the way to the end. Don't skip anything. It's all good. So uh, wait, my joke about knowing more about Siobhan because of his interview during the first intro for his first episode really is applicable to this episode. That's correct. Yes. Okay. So it wasn't funny two times now. but yeah great great episode john's super entertaining super knowledgeable we get to learn a little bit about uh how he built 
a freaking TV station. <laughs> and a radio station. He used to say something to the extent, and you know, we joke around about being old with our robes and all that. Like, I built WBCN with my bare hands. But I'm, I'm actually pretty sure that he actually did build WBCN. And if you look at his hands, they're rather large. They're not bear-like because they're very fine. He'll be happy to show you that at his age, which I won't say to anybody, but he looks exceptionally young. But the first thing he'll show you is his hands and how, how absolutely nice and fair they are. So, so make um, sure you watch the uh, YouTube video so you can get a good glimpse of those hands. <laughs> and they're the hands that also started V66, which for those that weren't around the New England yeah. area or alive in the 80s or, or aware of what was going on in the 80s, well, I wasn't really Gen aware. People. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he's, he's the, kind or, of a big deal. John well, Garrett, on, v, V66, can we tell them what it was? It was a 24-hour a day if there was not... 25 hours in a day. 24 hour a day live music channel concurrent with MTV. We, we explain all this in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so tune in, stay tuned, take a listen, don't let Ben give you all these spoilers. The open house party with John Garabedian! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Benny Goodman, and I'd like to introduce to you my co-hosts, good friends, although Corey may argue otherwise, Corey Peza. What happened to ladies first? <laughs> I was wondering to see if it had internalized with you. Thank <laughs> you for calling gone. me out. <laughs> the rules change every time. Right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, not only first, but also a bass player, the Rosa Parks of the show, Corey Peza. I feel like I should be offended on multiple ways. <laughs> and now, that triggered some people. <laughs> we save the best for last, which is why Siobhan's in the middle. Just kidding. I love you, Siobhan. Siobhan Cronin! Hello. She hasn't told me to fuck off in the last three episodes. we got to get no, in No, you've been behaving pretty well, actually. Oh, so. That's bad. We'll see and, if that stays. <laughs> and so above our pay grade, as always, because somehow our friends just pull strings, a, a lady, a, a radio <laughs> legend... <laughs> Literally the Nostradamus of all pop music, as far as I'm concerned. He wears white glasses sometimes, <laughs> and he happens to have very fine, fair hands. He has an autobiography called The Harmony of Parts. He has uh, uh, something on Amazon Prime called. Hold it up longer so they can see. Yeah, oh, for the viewers yeah, so they can see go. the cover. The, the, yeah, the anyone Harmony watching. of Parts is his autobiography. You can also watch Life on the V. On yep. Amazon Prime, which if you don't know what it is, good. Go learn about it. Also you on just, YouTube. You can run it on YouTube. That's actually how I found it. Yeah, whatever way. Um, it actually features some of our guests um, on this show. Like Ernie Bach is in the is in the end of the movie because, you know, he got pushed to the end. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, John Garabedian. Woo! Welcome back to part two. So Wasn't much more it, to dive into on I, this I was episode. very uncomfortable. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> John, how are you? I am wonderful, Benny. How are you? You know, I'd say that that was facetious, but that's literally if you call you at 7.15 in the morning. I'll be like, John, how are you? I am wonderful, Benny. How are you? <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Every time. You are literally one of the... You say this, but it's totally true. Energy transfers. And that's something that you've done through the radio for years. Uh, but even when people talk to you, you practice what you preach because in person, I feel like everything that you say, there is a dynamic to it. Like you're thinking of your life through a compressor. Is that an accurate assessment, John? Uh, more than expander. 
There you go. Yes. I was, <laughs> I was waiting stressor. for that. <laughs> That's great. There's three engineers at Berkeley School of Music that got that. So, you know, we, we, we talked in the last episode. We got some really cool stories. So go listen if you guys haven't checked out our, our first episode with John. But I, I'm really curious to dive in a bit more to uh, your career has been very long and successful. And it, it, it seems to really have blossomed to the point where now, you know, you're not only continuing to do with you what you love, which you mentioned was kind of the driving force in all your decisions, but now, you know, you own radio stations, you're a pilot, you you have created all these wildly successful programs. What was the the path and, and how as as it, your career expanded and grew outwards, what was your mindset in that? Was it all very fluid, like you mentioned, you were just kind of following what felt right, or did you have any sort of calculations as to the impact you were having? Uh, when you were doing it, well, yeah. When you hit, when you ring the bell, you know you're ringing the bell. When you hit success, you go, "Wow, this is great!" <laughs> you know, it's working. It's working. Yeah. But you also, uh, it's like that thing we were talking about in the last episode about Steve Jobs and his speech at uh, Stanford University. You've got to follow your heart and do what you love. And if you he said something about if you aim for just go in the area you love, the field you love, you will find the specific thing. You will make the connections. But if you don't do that, you'll be digging ditches. I mean, mm-hmm. and be miserable and looking forward to your retirement. And within six months, you'll be dead. Can I clarify that, by the way? I just want to, because I know Paul Lorenzo, does, our drummer, doesn't listen to the show. But when he does, he, he hears something offensive about something that I say. And um, I basically just wanted to say that uh, of uh, there's a there's a movie out there called They Might Get Loud, and it's with Jimmy Page and Jack Black and The Edge, and they're all saying, "Well, you know, we could have done anything." And then The Edge goes, "At least I'm not a banker." <laughs> and Paul was a banker for years, and he's like, "Of all people, you got to pick on me, bro." So, like, that's kind of how I feel, like, with Steve Jobs. Like, maybe a ditch digger wants to be a ditch. Maybe I like graves, John. Maybe I'm morbid, and I just want to get a, a hope to get, to see a dead body fall out. Is that, is that a wrong thing to aspire to? No, that's what you want. That's what you should do. There are people that do dark. a lot of jobs that I would never do, but they love what they do. And, and that's great for them, because it's all our individual thing. And if we do what we're best at... We'll do what we're best at and we'll succeed more than anything else. But what if you're Siobhan and she like is unbelievable at violin and then one day after you played piano for her for 10 years thinking you were the best, she's just better than you. And she's like, oh, but I'm not a pianist. How are you supposed to feel about yourself? That reminds me of a joke where the guy walks into the bar. You mean me? No, this. this, Am I the joke? uh, Sitting on the bar was this little teeny piano and this little guy playing the piano. And the guy goes to the bartender. He says, what's the deal on the little guy playing the piano? And the bartender said, oh, he said, a genie came in here. And the genie said, you can have one wish. So he thought I said, I wanted a 12-inch pianist. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that joke because I've been using it for years. To the same amount of moans and groans I'm sure we're getting from all the listeners. But I love that because Paul Lorenzo, I'm going to make him do this and he'll like that joke because it's terribly punny. So let me give you the, let me give you the chain of events that you asked about in my life. So, um, so I was a disc jockey. I was working up in Albany, New York. I was 21, 22 years old. And I 
the station was very tightly formatted where after every song you had to give the call letters you're supposed to give the time every other song you give the, the weather word mm-hmm. all this mechanical stuff and they sit down and review your tape of your old show they oh you left this out and i was thinking mm-hmm. they never say you were weren't funny or why don't you be more entertaining they didn't care mm-hmm. about that that's when i knew that the people who were in charge were idiots <laughs> so i thought how can i do the kind of radio where i that i think is great because i actually worked for a radio station where they did great radio in worcester in fact the radio station betting that your parents owned many years later it's so well. That's it's so weird because John and I just as a, an aside, there are so many parallels in our lives um, as far as now that we've gone to know each other. Because so people some have some background. The only reason that John's even on the show is because one, uh, our good friend Scott Benson, who I've known for twenty years, and John's known for probably twice that. Um, and Scott used to say to me, he, he's, he's the guy behind Lost Symphony, our band, the sponsor we haven't spoken about in like six episodes, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but we're in a band called Lost Symphony, and Scott is behind everything. And Scott, for years, was like, well, John Garabedian says this. John says, like the Beatles, put your out your face on the cover, or you're stupid. John says this and that. Like, he would always just have this thing. And then, like I said, when I met you in person, I'm like, wait, you're John Garabedian? And it wasn't because you were on the open house party. It wasn't because of all the things that you've done in your life. It's because Scott, for years, had been had made you the my inner monologue every time I was thinking about would this be successful? But what would John Garabedian say? And now that I know you, the parallels, because my parents did own a radio station, WORC 1310 AM Stereo, because you had to specify that an AM station was stereo, but they bought it in like the 80s, early 90s. But you worked there... Um, even before Meredith Vieira cutting her teeth, what in the, was it the fifties or sixties, John? I was, I was there in the sixties. <laughs> I don't know what decade it is now, other than the fact it's I in the show. Either. Oh my but, gosh! But anyway, so that that propelled me to get into. I thought to myself, if I'm a disc jockey, I have no control over this. I want to be a programmer. Then I thought, no, because the general manager is going to tell the program director. Then I, they could bring in a consultant. I need to own a radio station. <laughs> That's the only solution. Logical. Well, I was also an engineer. I had gotten my first class uh, FCC commercial license. And so I studied on how you get a license for a radio station. And I, I built one. Uh, and anyway, make a long story short. We Casual. ended up building the point of the story. We built a television station in Boston called V66, WVJV-TV. And... We went on the air and the thing was roaring and everyone's watching it and blah, blah, blah. That's what the movie's all about. But I remember in the second year after my partner, Arnie Ginsberg, and I had just had a meeting with one of our managers who had something stolen from her pocketbook money. And we're going, oh, so how do we follow this one up? How do we find out who did it? How do we get the person off the staff? Because <laughs> you don't want people like that on your staff. And I said to Arnie, as we're leaving me, I said, you know, this is not like why we got into broadcasting. Because we could be running a shoe factory. Because you sit in the front office and you, we're running this thing of 100 employees. And all you deal with is your department head's worst problems. Mm-hmm. So that's when I knew that really I had to get back into performing. Because that's the part of I enjoyed most about it. 
and I got into management to control my performing. In other words, I built my own stage so I could put on the play the way I thought it should be presented. So interesting. So that that's answering your question, I hope, as yeah. to... You know, well, you, but before we what? gloss over V66, uh, there, I, I do want to get people's attention because let's be real. Unless we ring the bell like Pavlov, they're not going to salivate. So I want to uh, focus on V66 because V66 is what people remember MTV to be during its heyday. Because MTV to me now, because we've interviewed uh, Cara Maria Sorbello and Paul Polly Calafiore, who are both uh, MTV stars and have nothing at all to do with music. But you were the original Wayne's World, if you will, um, in that um, you kind of took over a, a radio tower that was supposed to be in Worcester, but you put it in an area where... A television tower. A television uh -huh. tower, excuse yep. me. A television tower and put it in an area because I think the rule was it had to be within 10 miles. And then you created... 15 miles uh, <laughs> of the Worcester post office. It was, it was Channel 66, was allocated to Worcester. No one had ever applied for it. <clears throat> I put a compass on... Worcester post office, 15 miles. Oh, Marlboro is 16.38 miles, and it's home to Middlesex County, which makes you a Boston station. Uh-huh. And at the time, smart. I don't know if people remember in the 80s, and I want my MTV because people weren't connected. They weren't connected. You actually had to ask for 30% of Boston had cables. 70% did not. And we were right. free over the air and on cable. So at one point, V66, which was a station completely uh john in, uh, conceived and and made happen was 24 hours live music television with vjs with all this crazy stuff happening we had you had aerosmith on there uh, joe had, uh, white live from the palace what else you but on my favorite thing uh that and you know this i hope people go back now and watch this documentary because it's, it's super 80s it's very nostalgic but like if you're in boston and you were alive then this will definitely bring you back but for people to try to understand how important um, music and how important television as a channel, if you will, literally as a channel at the time during the 80s was for the importance of, uh, of music. Tell them what happened with Dire Straits Money for Nothing. Because back in the day, MTV could call claims on songs and say, you, you heard it here oh. and only here. <laughs> right, John? But yes. you had V66. What happened? The Loving Les Garland and Bob Pittman. Um, yeah, back then, uh, MTV was paranoid that these local music video stations were going to pop up in every city. So in order to preserve their market position, they made deals with the labels, the record labels, where they would get the exclusive rights to a video in exchange for some consideration. So out comes the video. Well, there are a bunch of them. Out came the video for music money for nothing by dire straits which is one of the best videos of all time and actually the person who tells the story is roxy mizell who was our music director so she knew dire straits manager she called them up she said warner brothers says that we can't play this he said what <laughs> i spent a fortune on that video blah 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 <laughs> you tell them to call me add computer animation it. in it huh i said it not only had computer animation in it sting says yep. in it I want my MTV. We remixed it to say, I want my VJV. <laughs> did, yeah. did you really do that? Yeah, they said that in the documentary. That I don't even, I, well, I've only seen it once, but John knows that I saw it because I was sitting right next to him in the movie theater when it happened. <laughs> so, okay. So she calls the manager and he tells you he spent a fortune. And then what did you do? 
play it. So we played it. <laughs> and what happened? Except we nothing. Nothing. N nothing. 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 MTV wasn't upset. I'm sure they were. <laughs> I'm pretty sure your phones were ringing moments later. Because I didn't authorize that, and you don't have the right to do that. So bang, done. Then there was another video that MTV had passed on, and Roxy showed it to us, and we, uh, David Beadle and myself, David was our program director, really bright, bright guy. Uh, he's not dead yet. I shouldn't say was. He still is a bright guy. <laughs> David, we love you. Anyway, uh, there's this, we thought, what a classic video. It has these these caricatures of the, the, the people in the video, and the music was great. It was this dancey thing. Um, and we said, let's bang it. So we put it on Take On Me by AHA. Mm -hmm. No one's Radio ever heard that song. Bad. Radio is not going to play the song. That's a terrible video. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. And by terrible, one of the most unbelievable, ahead of its time works of art ever. And that song still holds up to this day. Take On Me is a song that I literally, my 15-year-old upstairs, I guarantee you she knows it and she probably even knows the video. <laughs> and the funny thing about it is they came to see us because they came to the U.S. to do a tour. wonder what he's doing. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I saw some smoke. That's what I thought. So, John, she, you should uh, understand this. You did the first the 20 station. years of radio on, on shrooms, didn't you? No, they came to the <laughs> station. No, I don't do a radio show, Stone. It wouldn't be a great show. <laughs> and uh, and uh, who was it? Morton Harkett. And uh, what was the, the kid's name? This blonde kid. He was the keyboard player in the video. He ended up dating our receptionist. He might have come <laughs> to the show. I guess she must have gone back to the hotel. And they ended up getting married. The Hotel Motel Holiday Inn. Hotel Motel Holiday Inn. The <laughs> well, the thing that's great, too, is that John always takes music cues. You could give him a music cue to anything from, like, 1962 on, and you catch it. And and the thing is that's great about you, and, and this is great because you just heckled me for smoking weed, but, like, so weed brings out some of my um, uh, more creative side, but you are sharp as a tack in the sense that you are constantly recording. You'll be like, well, December 1981, Paul McCartney released uh, that Christmas song, and, well, because the Bing Crosby thing with David Bowie was getting old. They'd already been doing that for 13 years, but you are like an encyclopedia of defending the faith, knowing about music, knowing where it comes from, knowing what uh, it basically fed into this, and when you talk about new artists, you have perfect parallels. You know, Nicki Minaj is basically like Ja Rule. You know, what I'm just making that up. But you have you just draw this, and you are always on what Jason Letberg, a guy we had on in marketing, says is the bleeding edge of what's going on in the music world. You literally, you just mentioned some artists I didn't know. They're at number two because I live in a basement studio. But you, you always know who the Billboard charts. It was charting and you always are telling me when I see you, oh, there's this artist in Germany you need to check out or there's this young 19 year old from Mississippi. That's so doing speaking this. on that on that on that point, um, you know, it used to be the, the trade magazines and, and the things like that. That would be kind of the insider secret ways you would find out what's going on. What what resources are you using to, to stay on top of what is current and and predict what's going to be next? Well, well, um, well, everything. Yeah, I look at Spotify charts every week. Shazam has made it difficult. You can't do it on your phone anymore. You have to go online. But you check the Shazam charts. You look at airplay charts. You see what people are playing. 
radio pop radio stations and you go deep you go all right these are four stations who really know what they're doing sure. they don't add stupid records they don't get hyped to do things they shouldn't do and they do a lot of research so you follow those stations especially um sales streaming um what else is there i don't know requests what people are talking about sure pop sure. artists so you're looking around, you're, yeah. you're taking in a whole lot of information. To, to, yeah, then you yeah. listen, you listen, listen, listen to everything. You you get texts from labels saying, you know, here's a new thing coming out. And if they're putting money behind it, they really believe in it and they want it to happen. So you check it out. There's a song out now by an artist named Kid Leroy, who is this young rapper, you know, white rapper from, I forget where he's from. But, you know, it's like um, the kid from Seattle uh, who did uh, I Love You, uh, the old which is the Frankie Valley song. Um, I love you, baby. Uh-huh. Oh, what's his name? I forget. doesn't matter. He'll be gone next week. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be another one. <laughs> so, so, but, okay, now I have to ask you this as well. So you say you look through the Shazam charts and all this stuff. When I saw you last, you had said that Ciara one two step was still resonating, um, and that's obviously like an well, it's not resonating with top forty audience, no. what, right? But but can you give me some songs that maybe Siobhan, myself, and Corey have heard that maybe we don't realize people are still looking up? Because you told me at one point people aren't listening to the Beatles on the radio; they don't want to hear that. No, they want to hear. But so what do rock, they want? Rock hear? listeners don't want to hear the Beatles. So, so what mm-hmm. what do we want to hear, John? Well, what does who want to hear? It's all different. You know, we used to live in a monoculture where everybody listened to the same music. If you were young, you listened to Top 40. If you were middle-aged, you'd moved up to what's called hot adult contemporary, which didn't have anything too scary in it because, you know, then you'd (laughs) listen to adult contemporary, which was like more laid back and, you know, Maroon 5 and nice songs. But we moved away from the monoculture. We don't all listen to the same music anymore. Classic rock came in, shook up the world. We discovered that there was a period of music not unlike classical music. It's a whole kind of music from the 60s up to the early 90s that is unreplicable today. There's no song come out that comes out today that fits with the classic rock genre, all the stuff that goes back to Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin, but Metallica mm-hmm. is one of the newer ones. But nothing comes out in 2020 that, that can touch it. I mean, ACDC, I watched a documentary on them the other day. They just stumbled into it, but boy, did they have it. Um, so that's one genre of music. There's alternative. People who love alternative music, that's what they like. People who like Top 40, on the other hand, Top 40 is the best music of every genre, theoretically. But you also have to stay away from the extremes that offend people who don't like that genre. Hip-hop was the ultimate uh, division, because back in the 90s, hip-hop came in and took off. Everybody under 21 loved it. Everybody over 22 hated it. So on a mass market top 40 station, if you're playing a lot of hip hop, you're going to drive off half your listeners and especially the older ones that represent more money. But if you're trying to attract a young audience and you play nothing but hip hop, you'll build a huge audience. And that's exactly what happened. What do you think it is about hip hop that the, you know, over 22, let's say, don't like? Is there like a musical element that you think is unrelatable? 
Well, because it was very street back then. It was very raw and rude. You know, you know, kill the police and and, uh, Mm -hmm. sure, (laughs) sure. And there are people who are offended by that. So. You know, that's what it was. Do you find it ironic that Coolio, who was lining girls up in videos and singing about Gangsta's Paradise, has a cookbook out? Well, I do. He Coolio was the everybody loves him music. Yeah, but he was very misogynistic. Can we go back and watch those videos? There is a lot of um, TNA in those videos, and they are uh, degrading. Well, all the hip hop videos back then were TNA. Oh, well, I know. Back, I, back, they back. still are. My parents, <laughs> my parents unplugged MTV because I, I could tell you exactly when I got, I, I got Columbia House where they, they offer you the twenty five uh, tapes for free or whatever, and that you're, they own you for life. And I, and I got Naughty by Nature, okay, nineteen ninety three. OPP, will you know me? Yeah, yep. I got myself The Chronic by uh, Dr. Dre, which has a, a song Classic on it called out. The Day the Blank, the N-Word, took over. And I, I remember my dad walking past my room and the, the, the chorus goes, I got uh, one, two, three, got my finger on the trigger, gonna bust another. And, and I'm not Dr. Dre, I can't say it. But like, he was like, what are you listening to? And I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. And he comes in, he's like, what are you listening to? And I said, Dr. Dre? How did you find out about this? <laughs> MTV and Columbia House. No more explicit lyrics records. Like the the uh, the PMRC was in my house, so I knew the hip hop was awesome. Uh, well, what did it come out like? Nine, <laughs> whatever. I, I was like 13, 14 listening to as a white Jewish upper middle class child listening to the day the blanks took over um, on Dr. Dre, the classic Chronic, and. I loved hip hop, and but my dad, everything he had, he stood for as a Jew, one, uh, two, excuse me, two generations removed from Holocaust survivors, right? Listening to that, he was not no bueno. But I made it number one. My friends and I made the Chronic number one. But I remember thinking that that was the first heavy metal experience for me. It what wasn't Judas Priest. Album. It wasn't what Iron is. Maiden. My parents didn't care about Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. My dad was probably like Samuel Taylor Coolridge and Iron Maiden. He's learning about Alexander the Great. This is great. It was OPP. It was literally uh, Queen Latifah, uh, Ice Cube. You know what I mean? A ring, ding, dong. Um, all those songs that my parents were like, they shut off MTV and said, Stop. It's first time. I could read Stephen King. I could read whatever I want. I could look at Playboys, but I couldn't listen to Gangsta That's Rap. That's a generational gap that's existed since time immemorial. Well, so I'm going to interrupt here only because I don't want us to run out of time like I did last time to ask all the questions I want to ask John. But one of the things that that really, you know, is so interesting about you to me is how entrepreneurial you've been in your career, you know, and obviously you can't just wake up and decide you want to start a radio station or start a TV Station. And I'm just interested to hear what it was like to have an idea like that and how you went about pursuing that, you know, because I think a lot of people that might listen are people that have ideas of something that they want to do or they feel like they're thinking out of the box. And you're obviously someone that is very pragmatic, but out of the box thinker, um, you know, who wants to challenge the system of things that are going on. And you obviously have figured out how to do it your own way. So maybe you could talk about what it was like starting some of those ventures. Well, Siobhan, it's a very simple answer. Just do it. Um, like the Nike swish. No, it's like Sean Mendes' father saying to he Sean Mendes telling his dad he wanted to be a songwriter. And the dad saying, have you ever written a song? He says, no. 
Then when I heard that, I went, are you freaking kidding me? Why do you want to be a songwriter if he's never written us? So the dad says to him, well, go write a song. He says, oh, okay. And he started writing songs. And it turned out he was very good at it. I remember asking Sean one time, I, he was, what was the song? Nothing Holding Me Back or some, one of them was some song. I said, Sean, have you ever had your heart broken? He said, no. I said, you ever been in love? He said, not really. I said, well, how do you write these passionate songs <laughs> with these great stories? He said, well, I don't know. I talk to my friends and da 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 It's like, you know, that's a great songwriter that he has such empathy that he can put that. Yeah, that's very impressive, through. actually. But he yeah. went out and did it. He, he learned uh -huh. how to become a songwriter. And he says in the, in the documentary, which in the last episode I was telling everybody, go we'll watch it. It's the Shawn Mendes documentary. It's not a concert film. It's a documentary. And Good. he talks about that. I'm just an ordinary person. He said, I was born, you know, and I decided to do this. And next thing you see him, he's in front of 30,000 people in Toronto at the Astrodome, you know, whatever. Yeah. Can I tell you a documentary so not to see, though? Don't see the Hardwell one, because I went over to, to John's house because we watch a lot of music documentaries. And that sounds awesome because, first off, I love Sean Mendes. But Hardwell's documentary first it talks it starts off in like third person Hardwell talking about himself before everyone knew that I was the greatest DJ that had ever been. And then it's like him playing the piano, being like, oh, I was really a musician. And he's terrible, like literally horrible. And he and, and John, meanwhile, had two of his friends in from, I think, Amsterdam or something that were actually DJs watching this with us going, oh, yes, he's so good. He's so great. And meanwhile, I'm here. I'm there with one of my friends who's also like a, a full time musician. And we're just sitting there like. Oh my God, he's not, he doesn't, he doesn't even know how to play a keyboard. He doesn't even know what's going on. Whereas Sean Mendez, like, I'd love to go see that because it just goes to show you that maybe you don't even have to be talented to be good in music. Yeah. I remember when I was a child and we're going way back. <laughs> I, I was, I went to my first opera when I was about four and I hated it. I mean, with this drama, <laughs> and people, oh, I just, just no, don't like opera. In fact, most <laughs> classical music lovers don't either. The re research, 4%. I agree. I'm not a huge fan of going to see it myself. Yeah. yeah, but but my mother was into opera. And so that's why I ended up at an opera as a four-year-old. But, but when she'd hear classic, popular music, she'd, well, that person can't sing. Mm -hmm. And I'd listen and i go, yeah, I guess she's right. But what they had was style. And... Style or substance? I mean, substance is the singing, the, the hold the note and vibrato and all the things you learn as a singer. But someone with style, like a blues singer or something, they may be flat or, you know, whatever, but it's the style that puts them over. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. So obviously you're someone that grew up loving and appreciating music. What was it about radio that drew you into that versus perhaps wanting to be a musician, you know, or somebody that's an actual like musical performer? What was it about radio that, that attracted you? Sure, you're asking a great question. I <laughs> thought about that. When I was a kid, I thought, well, be a singer. And then I thought, no, because maybe if I'm lucky, I'll have three hits. If I'm lucky, and then I'll spend the rest of my life singing those three goddamn songs over and over and over. <laughs> I, I love you, baby. But if I'm a disc jockey, when I'm 70 years old, I can still be playing the hits. There you go. You planned ahead. Wow. <laughs> that, yeah, that was really like progressive thinking for a young person because that, yeah, that was very forward thinking. That's really impressive. Seems yeah. like you you did kind of have this, not necessarily a plan, but a, a view in front of you of, the, of like the, the direction you wanted to take. 
Um, were there any points that you hit some roadblocks or, or had some like struggles that maybe almost threw you off that path? Oh, are you kidding me? In spades. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why when you go after what your go after your passion, no matter what you do in life, you're going to hit obstacles, no matter what. But if you love something and you're focused on getting to a goal, your passion will drive you right through it and you'll have the energy and the enthusiasm to stay focused and not give up. There's a bunch of old sayings about, you know, success is just get when you fall down, keep getting up. That's how you mm -hmm. achieve success in life. Yeah. So in, in addition to that, obviously, you know, you are able to find great musicians, be an entrepreneur, run businesses. But what makes a great interviewer? Why? What is it, you know, about interviewing people? I like, how are you so good at that? What is the art of the interview? Yeah, we need all help we can get at this point. Yeah, <laughs> as, as interviewers here. <laughs> that's simple. Number one, um, you put yourself in the position of your audience. What does the audience want to know about this person? What does this audience, what would they care? What would they be surprised by? What, mm -hmm. When you put yourself in that position, you're now thinking like the people you're trying to entertain with the interview. That's number one. And number two, which is an unbreakable rule, they do 90% of the talking minimum. People are there to hear them, not hear you. I have a friend. Who's we have, we have a certain co-host that might have violated that rule. Well, I, yeah, um, but I have another friend who's he's now dead, but he was he was a very successful disc jockey. He interviewed some of the top people in rock: John Lennon, uh, you know, David Bowie, uh, Sting, blah 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 blah. But when you heard the interviews, I would sit there cringing. He'd ask a question. He'd then answer the question for the artist, <laughs> ask the next question, and the artist would be, yes, yes, well, that's true, no, well, maybe, well. <laughs> and it was like, oh, my God. It was horrible. Cringeworthy. Yeah. No, that that's interesting. I mean, that's that's really good advice. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Ben is feeling <laughs> no, very self-conscious. No, in fact, I've had you know this, John. So we we sent. Uh, well, first off, we sent Scott, um, who's our mutual friend, um, a late night episode and, uh, of the show that was just for him. And and one of the games we played was how many bottles of wine is he in when he's listening to this. And it, John knows that um, if you call Scott after like let's say eleven o'clock at night, that he's at least one and a half bottles of wine in. And one of the first things. He said to me when the idea of John coming on the show was, can we just let him eviscerate you for everything that you do that annoys everybody? <laughs> I said, well, isn't that, isn't that kind of redundant? Like he's going to do that for, because nobody was here for this, but like before we even started, he was talking about the, the key lighting in, in Corey's <laughs> background versus my lighting. Cause I kind of have this halo effect going on because he's co a consummate producer critiquing very nicely. Even when I go to his house, it's I'll washing be like, out the upper left corner over your right shoulder there. You know. <laughs> well, I mean, even and here's the thing is if you tell John you're going to be at his house at three o'clock for lunch and like you're stuck in traffic or maybe your fiance is taking extra time in the bathroom, he'd be like, no, well, the Doppler radar. By the way. Congratulations. I've already <laughs> said you. it once, but you know, thank you very much. On but your he'll engagement. Be like, and Cindy's wonderful. So you know. she is. I don't That's deserve her. Thank you. <laughs> T tell her that. Um, she's the one that needs convincing. 
Uh, but that said, like, if I tell you I'm going to be there in 40 minutes, and if I'm not there in 40 minutes, you will literally be like, the Doppler radar is telling me this. I have pinged you off of that, like, the cell phone, because you are so connected and i swear to god like if there ever was a person that was big brother but like you were the you are the algorithm for music <laughs> and for even like getting anywhere like flying a plane somewhere like just give me just give me a compass i'll find it oh just no but me. i see i mean but like, that's that's more. true but yeah <laughs> But but what I do see here, and that's interesting how you answered that question about interviewing versus finding good music, is it's it's <laughs> listening and understanding what the people want, you know, what someone wants to hear. So, so much of that means taking yourself out of it and bringing the people that's your audience into it. And that's something that I loved about watching the documentary Life on the V is how you really created a community around, you know, incorporating your listeners and your audience and, and, and building a community around this concept of music television and music, making it collaborative in a lot of ways of what do you want to hear? What's important to you? You know, and I right. think same with interviewing. It's 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 so much about understanding who you're. Why do you think you're is. on the show, Siobhan? That's the only reason Scott agreed to having you on this thing. <laughs> well, I was like, no, because when I John, when I first called him, I was like, yeah, we should have Siobhan and Corey on. He's like, but why? Why? There's you could talk for everybody. <laughs> I know, but like we need to have someone who has. We actually need someone to tell you to stop talking. Yeah, well, yeah, but right. who has introspective questions, who does research, who allows people to breathe <laughs> before talking again, who's not just waiting to the end of the question, not narcissistic or egocentric, which is why we have Siobhan, and then Corey is the glue that holds us all together with reason and logic. Well, plus Siobhan's <laughs> nice to look at. Well, I mean, <laughs> thank you. But 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 Scott doesn't even acknowledge that because he doesn't think that way because he's a man thinking just like a man, but the, we know that kind of man. <laughs> on the uh, on the topic of, of of interview styles and techniques, uh, has there been any like disaster interviews with some some like this one some big name aside from aside, like with some bigger names that maybe you know even with all your experience and expertise, you just couldn't make it work or they weren't make they weren't able to make it work on their end. Yeah, there have been a couple. Um, most of the people are pretty much on good behavior because they're trying to sell themselves. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. um, Comedians are an interesting bunch. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. You yeah. know, you see them and you think, oh, aren't they funny? But when you interview them, they're not a bit funny because they're not doing their routine. Yeah. They don't have jokes. Right. They're, yeah. There are very few people who are really great ad lib funny people who just one thing after another. And the same oh, I, person I, I was talking about who did the terrible interviews with great people, he was the best at just coming out with. He'd say four words and you'd be rolling on the floor. <laughs> Wait, I wow. have to ask you about someone who came to your house because you had told me about this, but I want to know more because it's very interesting because there's a lot of stuff that went on in the music industry in the 90s and early 2000s, a lot of hyper sales because of how big bands were and you dealt with number ones. You had Lou Perlman over to your house um, <laughs> who, who who represented NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys. Oh, Lou Perlman, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's now in jail for no, tax he's evasion. No, coffin, he's dead. Oh, is he dead? Okay, so yeah, he's in dead jail. Um, but but the point is, is that he, like he, if anyone knows the story, he was very sexually aggressive towards um, you know uh, Justin Timberlake and Nick, uh, all these guys, um, and a total predator. And you you even said to me like from back then. Like, have you encountered people that, like, even when it was happening, you're like, "This is wrong. What's going on? What the hell is? What the hell am I watching no, right now?" No, but they come in. They don't start. No, he was weird though when he came in. You don't say. They brought the Backstreet Boys in. This is back when they were before they had a hit. 
Wow. And, were they uh, so they weren't back yet? <laughs> they were just, it was just all right. We're on the tree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There are funny things that happen. I'm trying to think, you know, terrible people. There aren't any terrible people. Not terrible people. Maybe someone that surprised yeah. you or says that where you had or an expectation. Or someone that broke character, so maybe they were nice to you, but then like they're like, get me the green M&Ms! <laughs> like Mariah Carey, did she come in? Was she like perfectly nice the whole time? Or did you oh, see yeah. her like no, beating up the charming. waitress? Perfectly charming. And she was wearing this white... In fact, somebody called me today. They said they Googled my name. And up came the page, and there's a picture of Mariah Carey with me. And she's wearing this dress, which I'll never forget. It was so tight. It looked like she was dipped in it. <laughs> it is so We'll need tight. to find this picture. So is yeah. that why we were so obsessed with her, John? Well, I wasn't obsessed with her. I never really oh, cared. Was it just a fantasy? Huh? Was it just a fantasy? Because you're my hero. What a fantasy. I just named three Mariah Carey number ones because I've been daydreaming. Oh, well, she's. Because she'll always be my baby. Yeah, a nice song, but it's not my <laughs> cup of tea. What is your cup of tea besides Ed Sheeran? Oh, God, there are a lot of songs. I'm trying to think. Anything produced by Red One is just spectacular. Wow. What makes Ed Sheeran so great? Why is he so special? Oh, because he's, first of all, he's an entertainer. He, he, he's a mm -hmm. minstrel. He's a minstrel. Mm -hmm. He's a colossally great songwriter. Mm -hmm. He's a great arranger. He's a great singer storyteller and entertainer it's all in him he's just a complete package yeah you know i'll tell you an awesome story i went to john's house and i always like to hear his you know this is why this is going to be big or this is because he always is playing new uh, new songs for me have you heard this remix have you heard this song but one time you sat me down in your living room and you played me sultans of swing by dire straits why that song why Mark Knopfler? Because I mean, you you whacked philosophic about Cardi B like you did Dire Straits, and I want to know when it changed from Dire Straits to Ed Sheeran and Cardi B. Well, it never has. I, I I'm not a big oldies fan. Old music doesn't do much for me. You know, I played these songs to death when they were hits, so I don't want to hear them another time. <laughs> I hear them now, and I'll hear you know like some you know a great old Led Zeppelin song or or. Something. And I'll go, well, that's a great song. But I've heard it Moving on. Times. So it's interesting. A lot of people, they kind of stick with the type of music that they, you know, were in, the, in their teens and like early 20s that they listen. And they don't really connect with anything after that. Um, like, what do you think it is that, that gives you the ability to still hear new music and still be as excited about that? Uh, whereas a lot of people listen to something that comes out that's not not what they're used to and they ah it's crap new music what is that i don't mm -hmm. want to hear that well one of the things that i observed at a young age and then i heard someone give a name to it is psychosclerosis psychosclerosis when people get into their 20s a lot of people get in get psychosclerosis hardening of the mind hmm. they wear Definitely. the hair the way they did in high school they keep dressing the way they did in high school, and they end up being like this. You know, the girls yeah. are still wearing. Wait, is that why? On. Is that why I have Queen records on my back, and I'm wearing a Dimebag Daryl shirt that says to 2004, and that my hair is still the same as it was? Like, oh my God, my mind hardened in 2001, John. Well, that's what people do, and people end up getting stuck on the music they liked. So people, you know, your parents end up saying, "Oh, 
that that rap that's junk rock and roll is coming back when i was a kid it was rock and roll sucks the big bands are yeah, coming yeah. back and now it's people with you know oh this music's terrible dance music's edm's coming back <laughs> goodbye they're gone and what yeah. i've been privy to is the this unraveling or unrolling of the newest latest thing it's like seeing a new model of a car or seeing a new a new fashion come in or something new i get excited by what's new because that's sure. where we're living we're living in now we're not living in 20 years ago do you think that's a perspective thing because of your career and, and how you've seen how that industry works and how the, the whole business kind of evolves and how you have that eight week eight weeks of a, a hit song and then you're on to the next thing? And and obviously you would not be a very good DJ or program director if you were stuck on that song that was only there for eight weeks. Or is that right. something well, that's innate songs, within you? A, a song has an eight week life. And then, you know, it's like, uh, you know, a an insect that's born and, yeah. and then dies. And then the new ones come in like bees. Right. Bees have, there are three, a lifestyle of a bee is about four months. And the next bunch of bees comes in and they're replaced by the next bunch of bees. There are the bees that take care of, go get the honey. There are the bees that keep the queen alive during the winter and the queens that bring the thing back in the spring. I mean, there, and, and music is like that. When a song comes out, it's fresh and new and you love it passionate for it, this great new beat or melody or lyric, and then you get tired of it. And out comes something new to catch your ear that you can't get out of your head. And every so often you have super hits. And there've been a couple of those this year, Blinding Lights by The Weeknd. Yeah. Oh my Dog God. has been yeah. number one or, or top five since January. That's unheard of. And people that like 80s music, can like that too. It's right, great. right. It's yeah, perfect. a lot of fusion of styles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, and the secret of top forty radio is appealing to the widest, largest audience you can. So that song is one of the most perfect songs ever written because there's no one who says I don't like that song, mm -hmm. even after mm -hmm. they've heard it four hundred times. It still it holds mm -hmm. up. Watermelon sugar, you know, you hear that, you visualize a hot summer day lying on the beach. You visualize people running around having a good time, and and da 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 da. da, da. You know that the other song that was huge this year. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's so incredible. Yeah, well, I, just, I remember a song that you told me like that. So would you say something just like this is another super hit, John? Because I remember that that, uh, that there's many times I've come to your house and you played me songs, but you said I have to sit down, I have to watch the video, the and chain smokers. The chain smokers and Coldplay, yeah. yeah. uh, and then mm. if there's any song this year that I need to revive my set that people that will resonate with people, it's something just like this. And literally, I can't tell you how many weddings I would play just like the middle section of that song, and people would go bananas. And but is that a super hit? No, it doesn't test well anymore. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you don't you don't hear it anymore. Really. Yeah. I didn't mention one of the other things that I look at every week is a thing called uh, Airplay Intel, which is a, a weekly uh, uh, report where they take, in the, in the 50 largest cities, there are people walking around with little things that look like pagers that listen all the time. So they know every second what radio station people are listening to. The PPMs or whatever those are. Yeah, PPM, the personal people meter. Wow. And 
That's just also there's a company called MediaBase that monitors radio stations. They know every second what song is on that radio station. Mm-hmm. Airplay Intel merges that data, and they will they rank how many people, what percent of the audience is listening at the end of a song that was there at the beginning of the song. So you look at the biggest hits like Blinding Lights, which believe it or not, after a year, I looked at it on Monday, we had a music meeting. It's like the number three most listened to song that people tune out the least. Now, Mm -hmm. after a year, uh, Adore Me, Adore You, Watermelon Sugar are up there. They're still up there. Um, But something just like this, I think, is down in the low 80s. So 18 to 20% of the people tune it out. What's that Maroon 5 song with Cardi B? Was that a super hit? Girls? Uh, uh, Girls like you. Girl like girls like you. Well, you said it, and all I could think of was Cardi coming in with her rap in the middle. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> that was another like song you. I never heard the end of. I think from you and Scott, like, oh, we need to write a girls like you like song. Oh, do that one. Perfect song. It's got everything in it. But now that doesn't test Except well. Except guitars or it's worn it has a guitar. It's gonna start with acoustic guitar. Yeah, whatever. What? What are your thoughts on the importance of music videos still? Because I know that was kind of, you know, when I think about growing up and, you know, watching music television, that I feel like that was something that everybody saw. Now, of course, it's more you got to go to YouTube or something. Um, do you think th- it's still important, you know, having great music videos? Oh, yeah. People see a video, they remember it much better. Uh-huh. You remember the song. Yeah. You remember the visual that goes with it. You know, I'll go back to Just Dance by Lady Gaga. That was a stunning video. It was so street so real and it was like kind of fun and people like fun. yeah do you think the video in that case influenced the power of the song like people that saw the video perhaps rethought the you know how much they liked the song or or vice versa do you think the music is more important no the music's more important yeah okay yeah sure how do you see like the next 10 years uh, of of the music industry evolving uh you mentioned with radio specifically that it's important to have that personality uh, back that, that that's being lost. But as the far connection. as what's that? The, the connection. connection. Yeah, connection. Mm-hmm. And but what about the you know music? Do you think that eight week window is going to maintain, or do you think attention spans are going to dwindle that because everyone's so spread out in in their likes and their pre- preferences? It's an interesting question. And right now, uh, I hate to report the top forty radio is not doing well, and that's only one right. format. Classic rock across the country is probably the most successful. Country is right up there. Um, classic hits, those those are the formats that people listen to the most. Um, but that's like an age thing, though, because the people that listen to classic rock, uh, most of them grew up with that. So they're radio people, and they're but they're going to age out eventually. Correct. Um, so when they're gone, is there, are there going to be, you know, the people listening to the uh, – watermelon sugar now are they going to be listening to classic pop you know the but these songs don't these songs don't <laughs> stick around classic, quite as yeah. much that's that's a big question because the problem is radio has screwed it all up by putting crappy programming on that nobody loves nobody loves it it's just nothing there's nothing no fun there's nothing exciting nothing <laughs> so that's what they've gotten that's why young people are just have nothing why why do they listen to the radio Where's the ad? I wrote an ad today for Party Live Line, which was nothing more than a quote that I got. I've got to find it and read it to you. We'll it's give you some free ad time right from, here. That somebody <laughs> sent a, a, a text 
to uh, Mason. Let's see, where do I go? I go to my files, blah, 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 last notes. Wait a minute, here's files. Because this really summarizes the whole thing. Here it is. This is, a, this is from a listener, a text, random text from a listener that came in Tuesday night. Nobody listens to the radio anymore, but your show is way better than Pandora and Spotify. I don't know a lot about radio or what goes into it, but you've made me a fan. Thanks, wow, Mom. Wow, that's incredible. Does that say no, that's, does that's that say incredible. all? It does. It really does, yeah. It's absolutely. proof of concept for sure. Well, I mean, it, but I got to tell you, it, growing up, you know, there were so many people, like, especially listening to like WAAF, we had like Opie and Anthony. I would try to call for hours trying to get into their program. I mean, that's why they got on the radio and got syndicated like Howard Stern before they blew their careers up completely. Howard but, is it, the poster child for entertaining radio. He's the well, everyone wants to hear what he does next. I mean, I went and saw his movie in 1996. You know what I mean? Like as a kid, I went and saw a movie about a DJ on the radio because I'm like, what's this thing called private parts? Because he was right. so entertaining. He ran for president. Like he and, he and if you watch and know anything about him, he really worked for it and he still is working for it. Right. And the fools are running the show. And they're all the big experts who think they are they know what they're doing and they're expert and they're caught up in the corporate bullshit and with their hands tied. And therefore the product they're putting out just totally sucks. There's nothing to love about most music radio. Mm -hmm. Rock radio is different. Rock radio is kept personality because the people who are hosting it are mostly people who grew up in the era where there was personality. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's, yeah, it's a lot more than just the music. It's so much on the, on the DJs and the programming of the actual entertainment from from the djs themselves you know right. having that personality that draws in the listeners right yeah that's so interesting but it's like all the artists died and then you got a bunch of people who think they're artists who are now in charge right and yeah and, and, and corporate the culture yeah the product is junk yeah and then corporate limitations on staffing so you can't hire staff you can't they fired the producers of a lot of the morning shows who are very important because they get the guests. They feed the jokes and, and, and content to the hosts so they sound interesting. It's just awful what's been going on. Yeah. Hopefully Party Live Line will help change that. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I mean, hopefully you can have like an, you know, an even greater influence on the people to come, you know, to revive that that spirit of radio, because, yeah, I think when things become too, too corporate and it becomes about numbers, of course, that's what happens. You cut the personality, you cut the life out of it. Well, and there's there's you said something that's very important, important. That's right in the name. Live. It's live. live. Nothing about Spotify. Nothing about Pandora. Nothing about that's live. It's just an algorithmic thing that's doing something that's basically trying to read your mind, just like your sidebar on Facebook. You know, Mason, when you listen to him, is responding in real time to what's going on. And if he's making a phone call and if he's doing any kind of edits, he's doing that in the in the interim between the commercial or the song and then the next break. And right. that's mm -hmm. a, an art, you know, like, you know, putting on a show that, that it must go on. And, and just like something like Saturday Night Live, there is a certain art form in doing it once and for all. And it's out there versus, hey, I can edit this out in post. Because like, Corey is going to edit 70% of what I say out. 
He yeah. did all the ums and the uhs and the boring <laughs> stuff or the divisive things. And a lot and, more, too. Yeah, more that's why I look so much better online. But what's like, more important than the editing is having the content. Have the, get the listener to say Siobhan, I was why. I put it on the other night. And this is late night, I must add. And he comes, some guy calls up and he wants to hear some song. He says, uh, what did you do today? He said, well, I had to go. She got back from shopping. He said, what you, what'd you buy? He said, cock. <laughs> he said, what? Cock. I, I had to fix a window. I said, oh, C-A-U-L-K. Uh-huh. <laughs> you got my <laughs> But that's, oh that's entertaining. And that's the kind of thing that you start hearing. You go, oh, this is fun. I like this station. Yeah, And the, just yeah. the fact that it humanizes it. I mean, so much is so alienated from being on the internet and it's all virtual and typing and everything is triggered to be exactly what you want and the spontaneity is lost in a lot of ways, you know, because you don't have that unexpected nature of getting a question you don't know what it's going to be or hearing a voice or something that might make you laugh. You that know? was something it's- that surprised me in radio. And I, I worked um, a little bit at, at WAF, but but mo- spent most of my time at WBZ, which is news radio and talk radio, which is a little different. But, you know, it's it's, you know, down to the second scheduled out, you know, your breaks, you know, you know, you have to hit all those marks and everything. Um, but I did have a little experience at, at, with other stations in our under CBS radio, which was like BCN and stuff. And it, it really isn't much different for DJs in, in rock radio and those big stations. You call up and you think, you know, when you hear those calls, like, oh man, can I hear the new Imagine Dragons song? It's like, yeah, someone called three days ago and they've been waiting to use that clip be- when that song comes up. And it's not, it doesn't have that, that connection that you mentioned where they're actually talking to listeners. No, they, they fit that into the 15 second um, pre-roll over the intro guitar and then they slam it in and it still feels a lot on these, on these rock radio even that you are just hearing a playlist and that, that, that voice is just like in the iTunes playlist between the two songs and it, it kind of takes you out of it. It's a bummer. Yeah. And there's no personality, nothing human about it. Yeah. No, but that's why, I mean, you know, as someone that plays in a band, you know, when we do go around and do rock radio interviews, that's one thing that I do appreciate about certain stations is I always remember the ones where they've got a really great DJ that's got, you know, up at 6 a.m. asking you great questions, laughing on the air. Siobhan, what brand of cello do you play? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it it doesn't even matter what sort of crazy thing comes your way, but that's, that's something that, you know, makes it fun because otherwise you're just showing up, you're saying your stock answers about... You know who you are, what you do. You play a song, and then it's like on with the day. Wait, that's, that's what game? adds it. Can we play a real quick game? Just because I only have like two seconds. I'm sorry, Corey, to interrupt you, but this believe me, it's selfless. <laughs> it's John. Yeah. It's never so, selfless. So Siobhan, no, Siobhan, this is in this case. Siobhan is a star. She's in a band called Starset that has two billion streams. She is now she's played um, on the show The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. She does a lot of the the solo violin in that show, and she's just she's played with Michael Bublé and Andrea Bocelli and and Earth Wind and Fire and Trans Siberian Orchestra. Could you just interview her for five minutes and show myself and Corey what a professional does with a real star? Because n- neither Corey nor I. I'm not that. on the level of star by, take uh, by any means. <laughs> and she's humble. Even... Look at that. John, she no, knows what but it I'm takes. Just not. <laughs> She's not Hardwell. Yeah. All right. Oh my God. I haven't done any research on her. Blah blah blah. <laughs> so we're here with Siobhan Cronin, and uh, Siobhan, you look like Benny Goodman right now because. <laughs> 
Let's see if we can switch the camera over to Siobhan. Where is she? She just needs oh, to you, talk. Oh, you know, yeah. you can go up on the, on the, hit the speaker view on yeah, the, the, view, the Zoom. Yeah, the view. The so you've been looking at Benny the whole time now? Because, because of course, that one, whenever the person No wonder talking, he thought you were so you good looking. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, Siobhan, where are you from? So I grew up uh, outside of Detroit um, in the suburbs and currently in Miami, Florida, and, you know, all over the globe, depending on what time of the year it is, but from Michigan originally. Oh, cool. And how did you get into music? Uh, you know, I was exposed to it from a pretty young age. I grew up with a piano in the house and was drawn to violin once I went to school. And, you know, having grown up in the metro Detroit area, a lot of youth orchestras just kind of happened organically and, you know, developed over time through high school. Uh I guess, yeah, my early exposure was just from seeing it. Um, what attracted you answer. to strings? Because that that's where you are most of the time, right? Y yeah, you know, I think it was that outside of the piano, that was kind of the first instrument that I had physical exposure to. You know, in school, there was a girl in my class that was playing it, taking lessons, and I was like, oh, I want to be like that girl. It was, you know, very simple. There not really any logical reason behind it other than I was drawn to it right away. Huh. Now... I have a question. Okay. My mother used to play the violin. Oh my gosh! Badly. Incredible. <laughs> it was like oh. Well, the first ten years of my life was probably like that too. <laughs> but how do you, how do you put your finger on the, the strings and know you're going to hit that note because there are no frets or anything? Yeah. So just a lot of repetition. I mean, when you're young, you know, you get, they put kind of reference tapes on the fingerboard. So you have an idea of like, okay, in this scale, this is where you put your finger down. Obviously over time, if you have a good teacher, you're taught, okay, you have to listen for, you know, this pitch in reference to something else. Um, so it's, you know, it's very abstract and that's something a lot of people struggle with is getting the right intonation. But yeah, just wrote repetition, playing scales, comparing it to like piano notes and, you know, intonating yourself with tuners and things but very tedious i'd be terrified <laughs> like you, you you're in the, your first violin in a big orchestra and you're there and everyone's sitting behind you and second violins in this big orchestra there are 85 people and when you hit that first note it's got to be perfect exactly so how do you know where on this big long piece of wood to hold i mean where do you where do you find it you well you learn from playing a lot of different variations of different music, different scales, um, and having to do it, you know, practicing sight reading, doing it in practice with orchestra, you get used to your brain automatically adjusting to where is the best place on the fingerboard for me to play this note, you know? So you get used to seeing a note on the page in this context and your brain says, okay, I need to play this, my first finger on this string in this position. So, you know, it's, I related to a lot position? of- I still don't get that. Yeah, just from practicing from practicing scales, practicing etudes, things that you do regularly. You know, I, I like to compare it to people, you know, like if you think of athletics, you know, a basketball player, you're going to be under pressure one day. You have to make a shot. You know, I, I'm not good with sports terminology, but because of all the training and the drills that you've done every day, you know that if you're in this spot on the court, this is how you have to throw it, whatever. If you're a tennis player, you get used to being in that exact position on the court and knowing how you have to respond really quickly. It's the same thing in music. You know, you get used to landing in a certain spot saying, okay, I'm right here on the court right now. This is where my body needs to go. And that's the practice and the training that you do every day is kind of what leads you to be able to resort to that immediately when you're in that position in practice. I have always watched orchestras play in, in 
how much does the conductor really mean to a player? That, that's a funny question. I think conductors will admit that they don't necessarily mean a lot. Most of their value comes in the rehearsal time. So a conductor is really more of like a musical director, which if you think about bands, similar. Somebody that will rehearse the people that are playing in the show and communicate to them, how are we going to execute this music? So when you get to the performance, no. The conductor could walk off stage, you know, close their eyes, fall asleep, doesn't matter. The, the orchestra is going to, you know, yeah. They can do something that's, and it happens. Sometimes, you know, they'll be in the wrong measure. I mean, rarely with professional orchestras, but <laughs> things, can, things can happen. And the orchestra will go on and not mess up on account of the conductor. But it's all of the time preparing in the rehearsals ahead of time where the conductor is kind of the translator of the artistic motive behind the music. They're, they're the translator. What's leading the future up to the of symphonic music? Um, I think it's going to have to be very multimedia because we've gotten into the age of the internet where people expect to be entertained in more ways than just listening to something or seeing people playing. You know, even our attention spans have gotten shorter. So first of all, classical music is very long. I think symphonic music is going to have to be somewhat truncated in the performance set setting, you know, like having shorter movements of things, um, more multimedia, like avant-garde type performances, a lot of fusion. And I'm seeing it happen already. You know, it's, a lot of concerts will feature not just purely classical music. It'll feature things that incorporate pop artists or something that's up and coming or uh, electronic instruments, like uh, different variations on traditional music. Well, that's wonderful. Well, Siobhan Cronin, thanks for being with us tonight. <laughs> wow, <laughs> master interviewer. Wow. Hey, ben is sitting yeah, taking notes. Do you want a job? <laughs> you made it very easy. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, well, thank John. you. I, I, first off, I want to tell you that as a pure purebred narcissist, it was very hard to watch that. <laughs> because first <laughs> off, you're so right. You need to let them speak. You didn't even let her speak 90% of the time. I would say 93% of the time you let her speak. Right. You just better. react. You reacted to her. But all your reactions were selfless reactions that elicited additional responses as if, as if your opinions were to get her to say something else. It's the exact opposite of what I do because everything I do is just to get you to debate you it's just, and to say something about me so I can just be like, that's true. It's just a validation that everybody cares. And I know all of our listeners are going, can you just get... There's actually was a comment that said, um, we had David Abruzzese from Pearl Jam on. If, if it was just Siobhan and Dave... <laughs> it would have been better and you know what i can't i think really, that's uh, only because i didn't talk a no, lot no, on well, those i can't heckle that because it's kind of true and john i have to tell you in knowing siobhan for half a decade i didn't know any of those things about her oh wow yes. yeah see that's that's amazing i mean you can it's yeah it's totally a skill find something that's relatable to anybody that maybe doesn't understand violin or doesn't know somebody's song or doesn't have like preconceived notions or you know, research on somebody. I think that's yeah, that's that so was, important. That to was, take a yourself. Class. It was a master class. It was a master class. We're coming up on the end of our second hour. That was John, that was a great way to end it. That was beautiful. Will, will yeah. you will you come back and show us again? Because here's the thing, and this is and this is an experiment. Because yeah, Ben, you don't even have to be here next time. No, well, that's the point, <laughs> John. We have there's an idea because there's a certain guy <laughs> that lives in an ivory tower. You know, it's an actual ivory tower that's drinking a bottle of wine, listening to this. That has said, well. Do you think if John were the one interviewing people that they'd want to talk to him more than you? And I'm like, are you joking? Why do you think we have Siobhan do all the talking to everybody? Because no one wants to talk to me. No one. It's a giant dupe bait and switch. Would you, would you ever come on and show us? And like, listen, I'll, I'll be quiet. 
Will you come on and show us if we if we were to find someone as highbrow as yourself to speak with? Will you show us what you just did with Siobhan? Because I feel like you got below the water like a penguin diving into the Antarctic. I'll bet Siobhan could do the same kind of interviews because she's interested <laughs> in people. She's more interested yeah. in them than in herself. I, I would agree. I, I love studying people. That's that's what I love about interviewing, even though I don't get to do it that much except for this. So, <laughs> And Corey's very good, too. Oh, so really what you're saying is what Scott's <laughs> going to say. Is you should just take me out of the program. That's fine. You're kind Listen. of the glue that holds the whole thing together. Yeah, but like the, the, the super glue that gets all over your fingers. Yeah, you you're can't like get using it off. a knife to try to get it off, but it won't. But it doesn't still it still doesn't keep like the door ha- handle like together anymore. But you're like, I can keep my fingers stuck for two hours, but it won't hold the thing. It's all about the dynamic. But yeah, yeah John, it. thank you so much for joining us. We learned a ton. The stories are yes. great. Uh, I do hope we get to speak with you again. Uh, and it was great to meet you, uh, actually, like face to face. And you and your RE20. Yeah. <laughs> 27 but you know oh yeah (laughs) come on man (laughs) oh and just so you know john on behalf of all of our listeners they're all saying if ben will be quiet for that long of a period of time we really want john garabin to come back and actually have a real interview with any of these great guests because we don't know how we get them other than the fact that somehow i'm persuasive enough on a phone or by email to get people to somehow decide that they want to do this. I don't know why. <laughs> I think you just bully people enough yeah, they decide I'd it's not worth them. it to keep arguing with you. <laughs> but you keep getting up. That's what John said. If we bring it back anyway, John said it's all about just continuing to get up. And no is just a segue to yes. Right? And with right. that, you've been 2020. Thanks, John. <laughs> thank you so much, John. Thank we you, appreciate John. your time. No, thank Corey, you so thank much you. for being here. And, and, and where can we hear Mason, your protege, and uh, just tell us one more time all go the things to, we need uh, to know. Go to uh, the, the app is Y101 Cape Cod. Be sure and put Cape Cod because there are a few Y101s in the country. Or you can go to CapeCodRadio.com and click on Y101 on a desktop if you still use those. That's awesome. Really tune on in to Mason. Y101. He's-, He's on 7 to midnight Eastern time, 6 to 11 Central. Fantastic. Okay, cool. Well, and what about his book and anything else that we we can tell people parts. to go check out? Yes. I'll be checking that out. Parts. I'll definitely be checking that out. Yep. Life on the V, the Life documentary. Life on the V is the movie. Like you say, it's on YouTube. It's on Netflix. It's blah, blah, blah. And, um, <laughs> yeah. and the book, Harmony of Parts, is on Amazon.com. Woo! And there what, we go. And, wait, and just out of curiosity, what issue of Rolling Stone do I have to look up with one of those old uh, facsimile machines? 100. Issue 100. Wait, you're issue 100 wow. of Rolling Stone? What year is that? 1972. 72. Okay. And why were you in Rolling Stone magazine when because it mattered? Because I just won the Boston Radio War for beating the number one station. I took over a station that was number 15 in the ratings. And three months later, we were number one in the rating. So you're Damn. like the John Candy in Cool Runnings. You, I like you, saw that movie. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the point is, is that, John, you are a legend. We love you. Thank you so yeah. much for taking the time. Thank you, and, thank and you for honoring me with having me here. Oh, thank you. No, it was our pleasure, for sure. And I'd invite you over, but you know how it is with the... <laughs> of course. Well, we got to virtually hang out tonight. So, well, you have to do this again. I actually feel like I, I I've been in in garabeting withdrawals because John is one of my few friends that like every week we would get dinner for years now. It's literally been like maybe two or three years. 
almost every week and now and i don't then, see him uh, yeah, uh, and then you know like i feel bad i didn't even have thanksgiving uh, with my parents like i don't want to be like oh john you're my best friend and then i kill him Fair that's enough. what puts john to the ground me so i'll stay away that said you've been 2020 we'll talk to you soon john please come back and we heart you This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths, and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.